Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight the best of conversations that we've had in 2022 based on the most downloaded episodes uh, related to private equity and cold starts. There are three snippets from three different conversations, one with Dr. Chad Fleming, one with Dr. Eric Bass and Rob Steinmetz, and one with Adam Schmiele. And so if you want to listen to the entire episode, we will put those episodes in the links for today's show notes. You can go back and listen to them as you'd like to if you haven't heard them or if you are a new subscriber. As always, please enjoy our conversations. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. Challenging things with patients is when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and and customized lenses. It can be challenging to keep those lenses clean, keep them scratch free, smudge free. And so we now have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients the best in class anti reflective coating in a way that is really high resistance so that they're not uh, having to care for their lenses as much as when those lenses are caring for them. So remember that you can provide patients that best in quality, best in class transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com slash Crizal. You know, I get questions all the time about how do we use 9.2 codes and 9.9 codes and which ICD codes go with different CPT codes and what can be built together and what can't. And this confusion, this uncertainty really holds us back oftentimes to be able to do what we want to do, which is help our patients see clearly and provide their best opportunity for a lifelong vision. And so we built iCode Education for that specific purpose. Uh, we have lots of resources that are based in helping you understand disease states, helping you understand revenue cycles and billing and coding practices. So check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. And we have a specific uh, bundle there for you if you'd like to take advantage of it. It's the premier billing and coding bundle. We've got a 10% discount code just for listeners of this show. Uh, you can just, in the coupon code at checkout, you can enter in iCode Media 22. That's E Y E C O D E M E D I A 22 at checkout. We'd love to have you. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. And I think there's a mistake that a lot of smaller practices make that it sounds like you haven't. You've started to bring in associates. Everybody looks at you bringing an associate and you make so much less. But I would argue the flip side of that. If you understand investing, you understand how the system works, um, you can actually grow a system such that you can be, if later on in life, you just want to manage the practice and have an investment just like you would real estate, you can do that in providing jobs for doctors and letting them have some autonomy themselves. And you can also make a nice income for the risks you take. Plus, if you do the math on it and you make wise investments now, you're going to be farther ahead. I look at it, if we just have an asset fire sale in 10, 15 years, and I've done this and invested wisely, not increased my my living. I mean, if I'm going out and I'm yeah. making more money and I'm increasing my living, that's a whole nother story. Then I am going to end up with nothing. But if yeah. you do it wisely, you can end up and you don't even have to sell it for a whole lot. And you're you're still ahead and you've still called the shots. And it's not a selfish, me-driven 
of why I want to call the shots. It's the, the freedom of what that brings when I come home to my family and how I live and the stress or anxiety that I live under if, if I get to call the shots. Yeah. No, I think that, I think the idea of, you know, you made the point of, you know, you work for a big organization, you're answerable to not just your patients, but to the board, to your board. And clearly, you know, you've got multiple different entities. And I think a lot of people would say like, well, Chad, how do you do all the things you do? And how are you have all the flexibility with your family? But the thing is, is that you get to, you get to call the shots on it, right? Like you do, you know, you're a practice owner, and you own, you know, consulting uh, and I guess you could probably and GPO companies. And um, so there's multiple irons in the fire. But if if you say today we're done, I'm done. Five o'clock, I'm done. Or I'm not seeing patients on this day so I can I can run around with the kids in the morning. Or maybe today's the day I work from home. Like today is the day on Thursday that I work from home. Most Thursdays I've got time. I can I can hang out with my kids, you know, in the middle of the day yeah. in, during summer. And so um, so like. Yeah, you've got a lot of stuff going on where you might be logging in to do some work. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not like me, but you might be logging in at six o'clock to do some work, or in the morning, or you know, ten o'clock at night sometimes. But that gives you the ability to choose when you're doing those things, and you get to be the master of those decisions. And I think that's really important. Yeah, we can leave for the weekend in the summertime. We can leave on a Thursday evening. And I can do my work while we're traveling. We go down to my parents' house in Arkansas and I can work Friday morning because I'm remote. And it's not that I, it's not not wanting to work. It's just working in your own space and having, again, that autonomy to have that freedom to work when kids are in bed or something else so you can focus on what your values are. I think it's, I think it's having the margin and having the, um, freedom to schedule your values. Is there sort of like this underlying pride for private practice and the strength of the profession kind of um, hinging on that private practice that drive you at, drives you at all? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a great question. And, you know, I think, you know, this all goes back to when I was a student and, you know, we've had a lot of external threats over the years, I think, that have kind of evolved, you know, just in the last 15 years. You know, when you look at it, when I was president of the Student Association, I, I was bothered by the fact that all of the solicitations I got in the mail were from very large corporate conglomerates um, that were attempting to be able to hire these graduates right out of school with maybe a little bit of misinformation and throwing a significant amount of money at them basically stating that private practice is dead and that commercial optometry is kind of taking over and this is really your only option. And so, you know, my goal as a student was to prove that, you know, it could be done, that you could go out and start your own private practice and you can do it with very little money. I had the third highest loan debt in my class and went out and did it in a very small space, knowing that I was going to grow it, you know, beyond what it was initially. And so, you look at that over time, and the same time, we were going through some of the battles that, you know, you fought and, and others have fought in other states of, you know, acquiring oral medications and kindergarten examination laws. And so optometry was continuing to evolve into this more medical-based profession. And so, you know, part of what we were doing is, and Eric as well, was proving that it can be done. You know, no one thought it could be done, that you could just open up cold right out of school without an angel, angel investor or you know, being personally wealthy. And so 
part of our early mission was just to prove that you could actually do it. And I think once we proved that, um, everything exploded from there. And to be honest with you, I mean, private equity has become so aggressive. It's become, one, a huge pipeline uh, for clients to be feeding in to wanting a cold start because they understand what kind of culture uh, that is within private equity, no matter how they try to spin it. Um, so that has been fantastic for us because we get to define that competition. Um, but two, you would actually be shocked at how many of our clients in year two and three are being approached by private equity to actually wow. acquire their practices because they grow so quickly. And so it's a phenomenal um, position to be in right now, I think. Um, originally, when we thought there was a threat, we looked at it as an opportunity. And so I think a lot of our clients have realized the same thing. Today I want to talk about the MyDay Multifocal for just a second. It has been a really great thing in our practice for our patients who are presbyopes of all areas, but you know those tricky presbyopes are always the ones that are kind of emerging where they don't want to give up any of their faraway vision, but they're having some struggles up close. And so what uh, the MyDay Multifocal has been able to do for us is to allow those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. And then as we have those patients progress into other levels where they need Need more ad powers it's been a nice smooth transition so the ultimate hurdle that we've seen in our practice before the my day multifocal was that we'd have patients who would resist any transition to a multifocal lens because of that distance blur we just haven't seen that so if you haven't started using my day multifocal in your practice I would encourage you to start, check it out, uh, contact, reach out to your Cooper reps for those trial lenses uh, and commit to My Day Multifocal for your patients. I think they're gonna like it. If you haven't checked out Mackie Health yet for your patients in category one through category four, I think there's a lot of evidence that you should be considering. The first is if we just look at AREDS 2 and what they, they talk about, Mackie Health is, a, so for patients in category three and category four, um, AMD, Mackie Health is a great option for them that follows that entire um, that entire protocol, and it also adds mesozeaxanthine to the mix, which if you look at some of the evidence, I believe shows me that it's going to thicken the macular pigment better than without mesozeaxanthine. It also uses the a correct AREDS2 dose of zinc uh, at 25 milligrams, and so you don't have to worry so much about the potential side effects of zinc. The other thing to, to think about, and it's beyond the scope of this, although you've probably heard me talk on other podcasts, is that in patients in category one and two, there may be some additional benefit uh, to supplementing them with something that may be a little bit less than the AREDS2, so you don't have to add as much to it. And that's where I use the Mackie Health LMZ3. And so I think if you haven't done this yet, I'd consider Mackie Health in your practice and for your patients. And it's been great for my patients, and, um, and we really feel like we can have the ability to uh, help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. I have not worked on a deal where an OD has been able to quite literally hand over the keys, cash that check, and walk away. I forget who I was talking to. It was an, it, they couldn't describe the de the details of the deal, which tells me it was partly maybe a game of telephone, and you know how things sometimes get lost in translation. And maybe there is a private equity deal out there where you got an incredible valuation, relatively speaking, to what we're all used to seeing, 60% of gross, 3.4 times EBITDA, right, et cetera, et cetera, in a OD to OD private sale. But the vast majority of deals are going to include a three-year holdback where 
two things. A, you're expected to work and quite literally part of the valuation that you got is predicated upon you staying in the practice to essentially bridge the gap and pass the proverbial baton from yourself as the owner to whoever is going to be in your place post leaving. And this is assuming you're going to exit after three years where you, you're going to exit stage left, move off into the sunset. So there's that three-year holdback. Part of that deal that you get, part of the value of the practice is going to be held essentially kind of in escrow, so to speak. And you're going to earn typically 15% of your gross collections. That is by and large, the number that private equity will use, which is why in my article, I use that as well, because the OD, when you, again, thinking of it, how much you're harvesting out of the practice is in two ways. And I assigned 15% to the, to the OD salary and then a 15% operating income. So you're working in the practice for those three years, but you're not able to take the net operating income that goes to private equity now. And so to say that another way, you'd say $150,000 in a million dollar practice, you $150,000 as the doctor Correct. and in uh, EBITDA to make it simple, $150,000 yes. in EBITDA. Okay. Yes. And so when they talk about a, let's just say to make it simple an, a 10 X multiple, that means they'll pay you for your million dollar a year practice. They'll pay you $1.5 million. 1.5. Correct. To your, to, to your, again, to, to use round numbers, they will give you up front, uh, 60%. 60 to 70%. Okay. So 60, let's say, let's say just to make it easy, 66.6667%. So you get a million dollars up front. They're going to hold back 500,000. When they hold back the 500,000, do you get any growth on that? Uh, um, generally, or it's just being held for three years and then you get it or five years. generally being held, generally being held in a non-interest bearing account. There's not really any growth on that, so to speak. Okay. So then, so let's say then the, the it, uh, it is three years. Essentially what you're doing is you're turning yourself into an employee for that three years and $150,000 stagnant, no growth at all. Uh, and worst case would be you have growth. And then uh, you're basically taking three years. So you get the million dollars. Wonderful. I take it off the table. But then I got to work in the practice for three years at the same salary as I was as a salary. But then I get $450,000 as an owner if I have no growth at all. Uh, if I were the owner of that practice, I would just I would be out. Uh, that three years would be another $450,000 in my practice, which I can't get until I do the three years. And maybe I get a little piece, the 50000 on top. Correct. We're all square. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're all square. Okay. And that's, and so now play that out when, when, in your math, you, you show how, if I had just waited that three years, et cetera, et cetera, kind of play that out over time. Yeah. So to use your same example there, if we have a 30% optometric net, right? Because to your numbers, we use a million dollar practice, the OD, we have an EBITDA of 150,000, 15%. We have own, we have OD salary of 150,000. So those two numbers combined in a solo OD practice is what we would call the optometric net. It's the total compensation paid to optometrist plus business income. So uh, the optometric net of the practice in this situation is 30%. If we own that practice for those three years, we have, and again, to your point, we have no inflation adjustments or no, excuse me, no practice growth. We'll just keep the math the same. So we've got right. 300,000 a year times three years. We've got $900,000 of total free cash flow that we've brought home. And we still have the enterprise value of a million dollar practice at the end of that three years. 
And so now if we go and we sell, so we've had $900,000 of total cash flow that we've harvested out of the practice by owning the practice for those same three years. And we still own the enterprise value of a, of a, of a million dollar practice at $150,000 um, EBITDA at, let's just say you get a, a four and a half multiple on a, on a practice like that for, to private seller. Now you got $675,000 in essential enterprise value of a sale of an asset to an OD. So we've got 675 plus 900,000, right? We've got $1.575 million, which is kind of very close to that $1.5 million that we sold that in private equity. That was a 10X multiple. That was a 10X Correct. multiple, not a seven or eight that we're probably getting. Thank you.